So, Ben, I'm recording the podcast in bed. Now, disclaimer, I've probably done about the last 10 episodes of the podcast in bed. It's fine. I can still do it. Ben, you said that you're not recording it in bed. Yours. Fine. I get that. You said you're not recording it in your room and you've had to go downstairs and sit at a proper desk. And what was your reason you gave? Well, no. So I've had full room design over the last week. So I've redesigned my room since I got home from uni to make it as impractical as possible. And um, I no longer have a desk. So that's why I'm downstairs because I was like, I could do it. What was the reason you told me? That I would get bored doing it in bed, which is true. Well, I hope that you listening do not get bored. And if you're listening in bed, well, I feel like everyone listens to podcasts in bed, don't they? I do it when I'm on a walk or run. That's why I listen to them. Oh, I can't, I can't run to a podcast. Maybe this podcast, but um, I normally have some proper like, dance music on. I run to podcasts and walk to music. And I know what? that's the wrong way around. That is, yes, that is the, that is the wrong way around. I'm, yeah, I mean, this isn't about that, this podcast. This podcast is about film and TV shows. So let's get on with another edition of the Arctic Film Podcast coming up today. Uh, ben, you've literally just got back from the cinema. You were going to be reviewing Wonder Woman 1984. We're also going to be reviewing The Ripper that we have both watched. Ben, have you watched the whole thing? No, I turned it off. Spoiler I alert. Spoiler for my review. I did not finish it. Um, I did. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was great. Great watch. And uh, we are also going to be reviewing Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And we've got a brand new feature that we're going to be trying out. That should be fun. Trailer talk as usual. But first, let's start with the news. Yes. So, Chris Pine. The wonderful Chris Pine. The most underrated of all of Hollywood's Chris. Has um, been announced as part of the new Dungeons and Dragons movie on Paramount. I'm not sure. It's an idea in development. I'm going to put this out loud. It's been a slow news week because we had all of Marvel last week. So, um... This... And Star Wars. And Star Wars. Yeah, and Star Wars. I... Oh, no, no, no. There is some Star Wars news to talk about this week. Yeah, but we just go... We did so much Star There's Wars. There's another stuff. Star Wars spin-off show coming called The Story of Boba Fett and it's going to be absolutely incredible. Also, by the way, just, just while I'm talking about Star Wars, Ben, let's get it done with because it's going to come up. I'm going to have to talk about it at some point, so let's just get it out of the way with, okay? Then we can proper follow the, the rough plan. That season finale of The Mandalorian. Oh, my God. That was orgasmic. It was incredible. You are the first person I've ever heard describe something as orgasmic. In I mean, the... disclaimer, I did not have an orgasm, but it was just that good. It was, inc- I, oh, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. I mean, I've described the new Nigella series as orgasmic, but that's because it's Nigella. Um, the Mandalorian's just a guy in a robot suit. I mean, I, I'm guessing... I've started watching the show. and Yes, you sent me a photo. You're watching it on your big projector in your room. Yeah, ben, what are your thoughts? Um, so I'm are you seven on season episodes, one or season two? I'm seven episodes into season one. Um, a lot uh, of padding. Season is a lot stronger. I don't know because I don't know Star Wars and I don't particularly like uh, Star And here's my problem. Yeah. And I could always enjoy the original Star Wars trilogy and the prequels and the sequels. 
as films because most of the characters you saw their faces and their acting. And right. The Mandalorian is just a bunch of characters who have no facial things. And it's really difficult, I find, to connect with the characters. I find Mando a really challenging protagonist to connect with, which is a shame because Pedro Pascal is amazing. And he's in Wonder Woman at 1984 as the bad guy. And it's brilliant to see you his You do realise it's a different person that plays him in the suit. I do know he's, that he's, as well. But <laughs> he only, It's only his bloody face in it. And that very rarely happens. I think it happens once in season one and twice in season two. And he speaks a couple of times. An episode, yeah, which is, uh, and yeah, but I don't even know if that's his voice, is it? I feel like that's uh, just someone that must be his voice. Do you they, think? they can't have hired an actor to show his face once and credit him in every episode, it must be his voice. I, it's definitely dubbed over though, like yeah. they've not maybe not dubbed over, like some effect on it. Yeah, they've definitely deepened it. Also, um, the child, yeah, I don't find baby Yoda cute. Oh, no, neither do I, and it's not. Baby Yoda has got a name, Gregory, but... Oh, sorry. Uh, it's called Gravy Yoda. I heard him be called Baby Yoda for so much longer than I started watching the show. I just find him so uninteresting. And maybe this is a season one problem for The Mandalorian. Yeah? Right. Because I, when I reviewed season one, I openly admitted I'd only ever watched one episode. Yeah, I do believe season two is stronger, but maybe yeah. that is because there is a... The problem is every season two has got lots of things linked Mandal- to other Star Wars stuff. Yeah, I'm sorry. Every episode to me feels the same formula in the fact that I know it's episodic and I really like that because it's different. But he goes to a place, he gets set a challenging mission. He originally rejects the mission, but then a supporting character persuades him to do the mission. They do the mission. It succeeds with a big shootout at the end. Nothing really happens, and Baby Yoda does some weird, cute things in the middle that are just padding for time. Is that not the description of practically every Mandalorian episode? Season one, I'd argue, yes. Yeah. Anyway, shall we go back to the news? Yeah, I love how we started that saying was going to be brief. We've spent probably about three minutes talking yeah. about that and, also chris uh, pine six minutes into the podcast go on just to go back to dungeons and dragons chris pine's a great actor so if he's any franchise he leads i'll watch fair enough should we carry on with the news yes Billy bobby brown has joined the rosso brothers electric state i love millie bobby brown i know she's amazing She's like the highest paid actress for this role. She's getting paid like 10 million. Wow. Which they've released a couple of plotty bits about Electric State. Um, It's something about a robot and a dystopian future. So could be right. I'm not sure if the Russo brothers are directing it or producing it because they do a lot of films through their production company. So very little has been said. Once again, all three of these news stories follow a very similar format of a big movie star is joining something that we don't know much about. And we don't have a really safe form. Before we were, say- we were saying off air, Ben, before we start recording, you don't believe anything unless it's got a specific release date. And even then, I don't believe it'll come out. New Mutants took like three years. I literally don't believe something coming out till I sit down and turn it on on Netflix or I've booked my cinema tickets. And that said, I did have No Time to Die tickets booked back in March and that's yet to come out. So 
Oof, I mean, that that is, yeah, that is a bit strange, the fact you genuinely have them booked. Right, elsewhere in the news, Florence Pooh joins Mystery the Maid. Um, well, yeah, it's just seemingly a murder mystery film with Florence Pugh in. Oscar-nominated Florence Pugh, Oscar-nominated for Little Women, one of my favourite... She would have, if we did our Take Film Awards, won Perform of the Year last year, because she also did Fighting With My Family, which was great. She's a rising star. This could be brilliant. And her next film is with Chris Pine. Interestingly enough, they're both doing Olivia Wilde's new film, Don't Worry Something or Other, with Harry Styles in. So that's a film to look out for. <laughs> right, Ben, hot off the press. How long ago did you go back from the cinema? A few hours? Uh, yeah, I watched it this afternoon. So it's not quite as fresh as what was the the one film you watched that we literally recorded ten minutes when you got we back? literally did ten at five minutes after I got in from the door, yeah. And all you basically had to say was it was amazing in just, about twenty different ways. I mean, one and then it turned out that no one else thought Tenet was amazing, and I was on my own on that thought. But um, Wonder of nineteen eighty four. It's like, yeah. Where's that? Why is there a nineteen eighty four? Because way, it... it's set in 1984. I don't feel like they needed to put that in the title of the film. Where's the second one? So they needed a... Wonder Woman 2 is a pretty naff name. Um, yeah, what... There's Wonder not Woman... An... Having watched the film, there probably isn't another good, catchy, obvious title for it. Okay, fair enough. Um, so that's probably why they stuck on it. Um... This is only really the third blockbuster of the year, if you think about it. It's the second superhero film we've had after New Mutants. Tenet is probably the only film on its scale that's been released in cinemas. And it was just the perfect note to end 2020 on. Um, you liked it? I loved it. I loved it. I oh. even, I went and my best mate in the whole world also had tickets to see it at the same time, same day. So I briefly saw her afterwards, just as we walked to our cars. And um, oh, were you in the same cinema? We were in the same cinema, same room, but not unplanned. together. Unplanned, unplanned. Yeah, unplanned. Yeah. Or we both booked and then found out we were there. And I said to her, I think this is the best superhero film since Spider-Man 2. She looked at me like I was nuts because she was like, it's good, but it's not that good. So let's talk about it. Um, the film skipped like the whole 60 years from the second first world war when the first one was set to the 80s and um the time of greed and big business and what happens is wonder woman meets barbara whatever her surname is played by kirsten wig and they both work at the same museum and they find this stone and with the stone you can wish for anything you want wonder woman wishes for Steve Trevor to come back, her boyfriend from the first film who died. Um, Barbara wasn't going to wish for anything until later that night she is attacked and Wonder Woman comes and saves her. So she goes, I wish to be as strong and smart and sexy as Diana and becomes an apex predator. And then Max Law, and all the while we meet this big businessman whose company's secretly failing, who works in oil, called Max Lord, and he wants the stone, and he uses his one wish on the stone to go, stone, I want to, you to be me. I want to become the stone. 
because he knows that with the stone, you give it gives you your greatest wish, but you have to take, but it takes something from you. So it's like a devil's advocate. And he knows if he becomes the stone, he can grant people their wishes and take from them what he wants to benefit him. Now, this So he's incredibly, incredibly selfish. Yes. And what's interesting... Is he uh, an antagonist then? Yeah, yeah he's the baddie. And so is um, Barbara Kirsten Wiggs' character, who wishes I to become strong, sexy and smart. Eight, 18 years old and we still call them goodies and baddies. Well, no, it's, they're baddies. <laughs> Max Lord and Cheetah are baddies, played by Pedro Pascal from The Mandalorian um, and Kirsten Wig from Saturday Night Live. And in, I think they're two of the best baddies in superhero films that they've been in a long time. Um, and I think they're genuinely good arcs. And I found Cheetah's motivations really powerful and sad. And um, I'll talk more about this stuff anyway in a bit. But the film's powerful, it's big, it's bold, it's beautiful, it's stunning. From the opening scene in Femiscara where they're doing some sort of Olympic sport race to the beautiful scene where they're flying in the aeroplane through the fireworks. The movie's full of nostalgia, love, hope. Um, Gal Gadot is Wonder Woman. She was born to play the role. She's perfect at it. This could sound like a really snide, horrific comment about her acting but it's not, it's meant with love. She's at her best at the moment where the camera slows down and she just poses and does the slow-mo action shots. That's when she's great and excels as Wonder Woman. Um, the film also brought emotions to me. It's, it fits well in 2020. It fits well at the end of this year, tonally. Um, the 80s were obviously a time where there was a huge amount of greed. And I think we're seeing it again in 2020. Um, and I don't want to spoil Wonder Woman's closing lines in the final battle, but they're really beautiful. Okay, ironic how you don't want to spoil that, but you've spoiled the rest of the film. Well, no, everything else I've spoiled was true in the trailers, so... Oh, fair enough. Oh, I hate, I hate films that... And actually, I didn't really spoil much, I just... I literally just ben, said what I was happened making, in the first... Ben, I was making a joke. I was making a joke. Yeah, um, it is a long film. It's two and a half hours, but it should be seen in the big screen to end your 2020. If cinemas are still open where you live, and I know in a large areas of Britain and America and wherever you are, they're not. But if you can, do go out and watch this film. It is really something special. Yeah, and then um, after that, as well, if you can't get to a cinema... Don't, you know, don't watch it online legally or whatever. Do wait till it comes out in the box office. It's, it's coming out on it. DVD over here in January to be rented. And in America, it's being released on HBO Max on Christmas Day, the same day it's being released in cinemas. So you can watch it legally, not in cinemas, if you don't Very have cinemas soon. open. If you do have Very cinemas soon. open, go and support that local business because they're struggling. Amazing. So, Ben, I will assume you are giving that an absolute must-watch. It is one of my films of the year. So, yes. So, I just said, sorry, I was having this debate with my friend uh, earlier. I just said, I assume. Is it assume or assume? Assume or assume? Isn't it, isn't it like a potato-potato situation? Tomato-tomato. 
Okay, isn't it like a tomato-tomato scenario? It's however you want to say it. It's like a zebra-zebra Yeah, situation. a scone-a scone scenario. A lasagna-lasagna. There's no real... No, lasagna-lasagna. Lasagna-lasagna... Wait, I forgot what the other one was. Well... <laughs> Yeah, so I don't, I don't grass grass. It's, it's just how you speak, innit? Uh, but I am just pointing out that it is scone, not scone. Yeah. Should we get on with the trailer talk, Ben? Yes, let's. So um, whilst the news was a bit flat this week, the trailers, really not. We've uh, got some huge trailers uh, to discuss for you this week. Trailers starring Hugh Grant and Samuel Jackson in the same film. Uh, we've also got trailers which sees the return of Justin Timberlake to acting. Oh, good God. Let's start with that one then. Palmer, uh, the trailer has just dropped for that. Firstly, Justin Timberlake is a brilliant actor. He was a great rom-com star 10 years ago, and uh, he never did enough. Um, but in this new film, he plays an ex-convict who strikes a comp, who strikes up a friendship with a little boy who's gender non-conforming and from a troubled home. It, I just, um, the only time, admittedly, I've actually seen Justin Timberlake act was his voice acting in, was it Trolls? Yeah. I mean, like, what? he's actually a really good actor. Um, it's being released January 29th on Apple TV+, Plus, my favourite streaming service. I weirdly have seen the release date and think this could go one of two ways. Either Apple's dumping it because it's not very good. Or Apple have thought, well, the Oscars have been pushed back a month or two, two months. Let's get a nominee in. Let's push this film back a month and try and get Justin Timberlake nominated. I mean, whether that works, because they've also got Sherry coming out next month, which could get Tom Holland nominated, is a toss of a coin. But that's why I think it's coming out next month. And that's why I think it could be very, very good. Uh, how was the trailer? Did the trailer look as though it was good? Because I feel like you, sometimes trailers make films look absolutely shit. It looked Oscar-y. Incredible. From from my money, it looked like Justin Timberlake was coming for those awards. Which Amazing. I would give him. I like Justin Timberlake. He seems I like, like his music, to be fair. He seems like a lovely, lovely person. He does, even though I'm not sure about his famous double denim look. Yeah. Um, it's questionable. Before we get to the trailer that stars Samuel L. Jackson and Hugh Grant, let's talk about Normandland. Yeah. Normandland? So Nomadland is... Um, oh, there we go. I'm the... dyslexic. Forgive me. I know. It's only because I have read about this film for, like, months at this point. It's the favourite for next Why year's Why is, is it all one word? Norma yeah. Nomadland. Nomadland is all one word. Why isn't it two words? Why hasn't it got a hyphen in it? There we go. On the dock, I've just put a hyphen in it. That's how it's spelt. Jacob, that's not me doing a spelling mistake. That's genuinely how it's spelled. Um, it's favourite to win Oscar Best Picture and stars the legendary actress Frances McDormand. Um, after losing everything in the Great Recession 10 years ago where bankers fucked up the world, Frances McDormand's character is a woman who becomes a nomad and travels around the American West in a van living with everyday people. I think it looks good. But it also looks really pretentious. And I wonder, I always say, I think I'm going to love this film because I love the Oscar films. My brother is going to hate this. 
Why is your brother going to hate it? Because he finds Oscar-y films pretentious and dull and needs action. So if you're one of those people, which is fine, if you just want to go to the cinema to be entertained, maybe skip Nomadland. Okay, okay. I haven't seen it though, so I that's just a theory. Uh, before we review The Ripper, let's talk about our final trailer to discuss this week, Death to 2020. Oh, that is quite fitting. Did they decide on that name in this film before 2020? Um, so, Jacob, did you ever watch any of Charlie Brooker's screenwriting? Why were you so patronising then? So, Jacob? No, th- that was just a question. This is just my voice. This is how I'm speaking. I didn't mean to be patronising. <laughs> Sound like my boss. And that's not a good thing. Okay. Shout out to my boss if you're listening. Love you, Philip. Jacob, right. have ben. you seen... <laughs> I'm going to really patronise you for this now. Okay, have you seen the Charlie Brooker's end-of-year screen wipes or all those things he did a couple of years ago? Let me guess. No, I want you to guess my answer. No. Yeah, you'd be right there. Okay, anyway, Charlie Brooker, British comedian who also wrote Black Mirror, uh, is kind of adapting his style of comedy, which he used to do every year at the end of the year, where he would just look back on the year and riff jokes about it. And he's got a new Netflix special called Death to 2020, which seems to just be comedy sketches talking about the shit show that's 2020. Um, Its cast includes Samuel L. Jackson, Hugh Grant, Lisa Kerdry from Friends, whom I think is the most successful of the Friends actors, but let's not go into... No, she's not. She's not. I'm sorry. I think she's the most... The most successful is Jennifer Aniston. In an acting, talented role sense, not money, I think she's by far the most successful. Jennifer Aniston, then Matt LeBlanc. I'm sorry, you cannot argue with that. Matt LeBlanc's the least... Matt LeBlanc... David Schwimmer, you could... Okay, there's three tiers, in my opinion. Okay. okay. It's how, how do you judge oh, wait, this? If you aren't a regular listener, Ben absolutely despises friends. Okay, so here's the thing. Jennifer Aniston, great in the morning show. Amazing. But that's her making up for she's the fact also, that... You know, she's in the running to be taking over from Ellen, if Ellen calls it a day. Yeah, I doubt that. Jennifer Aniston's a serious actress now. Um, I doubt she would... She's now doing some properly serious stuff. I doubt she would take a step back. But she did for 15 years play very similar parts in comedies that actually weren't that good. Um, I mean, Friends is absolutely amazing. Other than... I'm talking about her film work, the stuff she did after Friends. I'm talking post-Friends here. Yeah? That's why I mean Lisa Kirdry's the most successful. Matt LeBlanc genuinely couldn't name a single thing he's done in the last 15 years other than Top Gear which shows how bad his <laughs> careers went. David Schwimmer... Uh, can I just say, how, how did his uh, time on Top Gear end? <laughs> badly. Um, David Schwimmer... Very badly. David Schwimmer, all I can think of is Madagascar and the fact he played Robert Kardashian in The People vs. O.J. Simpson, which he was great in. And that was funny. That was funny. Okay. I find, what you find funny is odd. Um, anyway, um, but Lisa Kerdrew has popped up in brilliant comedies for the last 15 years in one or two role scenes and just made me laugh. And you've look- literally, but you, Ben, you've just argued that you, um, Jennifer Aniston, you like how now she doesn't just do comedies and yet you're saying Lisa Kerdrew's the most successful. But here's the thing. 
Jennifer Aniston does Adam Sandler comedies. Lisa Kirju does good comedies. She does Easy A and Booksmart, which are two of my favourite films of all time. She's been in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. She had her two successful series she led on her own, The Comeback and Web Therapy. She's picked interesting pop parts and small roles, and some of them have really transformed. And if you... Anyway, I think she's great. And she could be really funny in this. But... The funniest thing about the Death to 2020 trailer is at the end of it, If have you heard of the... Philomena Kunk is a character who, if you're British, you may know, and she was created by Charlie Brooker. He's moved her over to Death to 2020, and the final line of the trailer is her going, is this going to be on Quibi, which was 2020's failed streaming service, which so dirty from Netflix. But... Oh, but, but funny. Funny, yes. So let's... I mean, they can do Disney Plus because that has been actually successful. Not at first, but now it's successful again. Yeah, I mean, I think it's that's done better. I let, Time will tell. Disney Plus is not even a year old. We can't okay. touch it yet. I mean, it is in America. Yeah, it is in America. Yes, okay, it is. It is, but it's barely. It's not as old as Netflix yet. Nah, it's not. Let's not compare them It's still fresh. It's still fresh. Anyway. Let's get on to the review of a show that I've actually watched and Ben's actually watched. Has this ever happened before that we both watched the same thing that has just dropped on Netflix? I just call it a film. It's not a film. It's a TV series. But has this ever happened since we've been doing the podcast? No. (laughs) And it was both... It was by coincidence as well. Yeah, well... um... Yeah, it was actually. Um, it came up on my suggested. I watched it. And you knew it, it was coming out. No, I watched it because everyone else seemed to have watched it. <laughs> and then I turned enough. it off because... As Ben is about to tell us, the TV series we are on about and everyone seems to be obsessed with, for me, it's like the new Tiger King. Yeah. I've actually rewatched. Two, I've been rewatching Tiger King this week. To... I never liked Tiger King. I got three episodes in and thought, this is shit. I really didn't like it. Okay, so here's the thing with the Ripper. I find oh, this the TV series. Ben yeah. Was gonna, like, now it, the... Yeah. Let's. It follows the investigations and the witnesses talk about the modern day Jack the Ripper, who was Peter Sutcliffe, who terrorised people in Yorkshire throughout the late 1970s, and Sutcliffe has recently died, like last month. Um. Anyway. My problem with this documentary was, firstly, it came too soon after the death of Sutcliffe. And I felt like it was trying to jump on that wave. And then in that, I felt the news idolised Sutcliffe because they talked about him. This, I feel, idolises him because they call it the Ripper after him. And I find that fundamentally highly disrespectful to the victims who have been raped and murdered in the most horrific of ways. And here's the thing. It's not like Tiger King, which was a documentary, and Grant, there was a murder in it, but it was also about animal rights, and the murder came in very late. This is about a murderer, and and it's not about his victims, and nor should it be about his victims, because they never chose to be famous. It's mainly about the police force, in my opinion. Yeah, but... You can't talk about these stuff without... It's a challenging one, because you do the police failed the victims, which is 
admittedly the best line it could take, but it still feels slightly off. I feel calling it the Ripper idolises Sutcliffe, and that is very wrong on so many levels. I feel like it was just... And I feel... Yeah, but also, with this, the victims, they never chose to be famous or have their lives scrutinised. And they would have dealt with so much horrific stuff in that time. And the police were awful. But we, we have no... The best, in my opinion, the best way to honour the lives of the victims, yeah, yeah, is to get Peter Sutcliffe... He sh- stayed in jail, should have stayed in there the whole life. He should have been forced to give up their locations. That was a real mistrial of justice. Um, But the best way to do it is to never say his name, never speak his name, never give him the time of day or the air, because that's how... Yeah. We shouldn't remember this guy. He should just be an everyday Joe. I get what you're saying but don't you feel like a lot of people would have been watching it would be like i want to know who he is i want to know who he is yeah so i don't think i don't think they should have made a documentary on him i just don't i don't like justice through film and tv as something as general i like it through the courts and I would have been much happier if no one knew who he was and there was a never a documentary on him. It's the same thing with... Did you watch Devs? No. Uh, no, not Devs. Dev, um, which had David Tennant playing... Des, sorry. Which had David Tennant playing Dennis Nelson. Now, that conversation went to, oh, my God, how great is David Tennant as someone who killed 10, 15 people in a homicidal way? And it idolised him because he was the main character. It's just... I find it so uncomfortable. Disrespectful mm. as well. Yeah. So Are you alright, Ben? Yeah, if you don't mind, can we move on to talking about Christmas films? <laughs> yes, let's get very upbeat now and talk about Christmas films and talk about our brand new feature, which is very, very exciting. Ben, are you sure you're alright, though? Yeah, I'm fine. You're fine. Nice. Okay, Ben, do you want to explain it? Yes. Um. So, essentially... Me and Jacob, I've called this Christmas film showdown, like we're in the Wild West, and I'm Clint Eastwood, and Jacob is also some random guy in a Sergio Leone film. Um, basically, I'm the Lone Ranger. I'll be the Lone Ranger. We are both going to have 15 seconds to argue our point, and we've both picked a Christmas film which we think is the best Christmas film. And so by... we are arguing what we think is the best Christmas yes. film, and we've got 15 seconds to say So it. I right? have picked Home Alone. Jake has picked. And I have picked the nativity. So I will go first with 15 seconds. To say Which one. home alone are you, by the way? One. Which one? Okay. One. <laughs> yeah, same with me on nativity. Yeah. Um, we'll have 15 seconds each. Then we'll have 15 seconds response each. And at the end, we want you guys to get in contact with us with the links. And we'll reveal the winner in next week's show. Please, please, if you are listening, get in contact because we really... We'd love to. We'd love to know. We'd love a winner. We'd love a winner. And we'd love for you to say hey and say you love the podcast or you hate the podcast. But just to know you're listening, to know you're out there, it would be genuinely really appreciated. Yeah. Okay, Ben, I've got 15 seconds on my phone. No, I haven't. Uh, Should I do a timer or a stopwatch? Uh, Yeah. Uh, Do a timer. Okay. Okay. Ben, I 
am ready. 15 seconds on the timer. Are you ready? Uh, yes. So, do, can we start when I start speaking? Yes. So basically, you all know the plot to Home Alone. It's eight-year-old Kevin Macaulay Culkin. He's left behind when his family left for France. And um, first, he's happy to be at Home Alone, but then thieves break into his house. It's cute nature. It's not very realistic, but it's a family film. Both adults and kids will enjoy. There's a good amount of violence. There's a good amount Stop. of profanity. Stop! I've stopped. Probably got about seventeen seconds there, Ben. All right. Um. Yeah. Okay. Nice. I'm going to top that. Do it. Can I just say, can I just point out that I've got about five words written down? Ben <laughs> you, had two you do. I had two, pa two bullet <laughs> Ben's points. Ben's was scripted. Mine, mine's very off the tongue. So you've got to give me credit for that. I will. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. All right. I'll time myself. Okay. So Nativity is just such an incredible film. Obviously, it tells the story of the Nativity, so therefore it's educational, but it does this in a really unique and funny way. If you're British, you will absolutely love this. It has got some of the best British actors of all time. Alan Carr's in it. David Tennant is in the second one, but he's not in the first one. The guy who plays The Hobbit is in the first one. Oh, and that's me up. <laughs> um, it's also a musical. I love how we're speaking so quickly, like we're on, tic like we're on TikTok trying <laughs> to get as many words as possible in our 15-second videos. Yeah, but we need to move our like microphones on our headphones to our, to our lips. Yes, and we need to... Yeah. They all do it like this, okay? And it's really breathy, but I just don't get it. Um, yes, so... Mm. Anyway, uh, now we're responding. What, what's next? Yeah. Well, we're just fighting back at this point. It's going to get messy. Um... Firstly, how does the nativity tell the story of the nativity? It's just a bunch of school kids making a musical, which merely is funny, but doesn't break any new ground. And it's British. That's not a reason why it's good. That's just some xenophobic bullshit that's racist. Time's yeah. up. Oh, that was perfect, that. That was perfect. Well done. Oh, freaking out. This timer, I never know how to turn it off. It's off? Okay. Yes. Get, getting my 15 seconds ready. Ben, I'm not being xenophobic at all. I'm just telling you that it is a really good film and I think that our British listeners in particular will absolutely bloody love it. Uh, Nativity is also a musical, a Christmas musical that's a play. It's just so brilliant. It's funny, a funny Christmas film, but it isn't actually funny. It's not forced and it's not about Santa and his bloody elves. Please do get in touch. Tell us Please who you thought. Say which film you prefer because you will prefer one of the others and... Let's be honest, we won't have sung your mind in that one-minute-long argument. But also, say who you think argued better. And we, I, like, I think we should bring this segment back every week with a different question. I mean, based on what the uh, lovely listeners of the Articu Film Podcast think, we'd also love to hear your feedback yeah. on that. Tell us whether you liked it or tell us whether you didn't. If you didn't, oh, God, oh, my ring is on now. See, getting a message. Turn it off. And I'm uh, going to be lovely here. I think you argued better there. You think who argued better? I thought you were better, so I want to beat you I thought you, next you were time. better. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> right. Okay, we have got one final review for you today on the Arctic You Film podcast. Marini's Black Bottom. Did I say it right that time? No. No, we no. <laughs> um, So, Matt Rainey's Black Bottoms. Uh, no, Matt Rainey's Black Bottoms. Sorry, it's a new film. I did say it right. I swear I did say that right. I, I don't um, it's a new film on Netflix. It came out on Friday. Um, I think it's going to win all the Oscars. Um, anyway, 
It's tension. It follows the tensions and the temperatures rise over the course of an afternoon recording session in 1920 Chicago as a band of musicians await a trail-brazing performer and the legendary mother of blues, Ma Rainey, played by Viola Davis. Late in the session, the fearless, fiery Ma engages in the battle of wills with her white manager and producer over She Wants the Control of the Music. The band waits in the studio with the claustrophobic rehearsal room. You have the ambitious trumpeter Levy in Chadwick Boseman's final role, um, who has an eye for Ma's girlfriend, and he wants to make the music his own. He wants to have a place in the music industry. And it's just an hour and a half of these musicians all telling their stories about the industry and these black musicians talking about racism. Obviously, it's all scripted. It's based off the two-time Pulitzer Prize winning August Wilson's play, Maroney's Black Bottoms, and it really celebrates the music and the artists who refuse to let society pre- society's prejudices dictate how much they're worth. I mean, because it's based off a play, it is quite stagey. It lacks directorial flair. It lacks cool cinematography, but the costumes are brilliant and it looks stunning. Like the sets, the one set looks amazing. But the real reason people are going to talk about this film is the performances. Chadwick Deck Bozeman and Viola Davis shine in this movie. They will probably win Best Actor and Best Actress at next year's Oscars and they'll deserve to. Um, interestingly, um, Glenn Turman won Supporting Actor at the Los Angeles Fil- Film Critics Association and that winners this week, which shocked me, but he's great in the film. But this film will get a lot of talk about Chadwick Boseman because of his sad and untimely passing. Um, and he's incredible. If you're going to die on a performance, die on this one. Like, I know that sounds weird, but if you're going to go out, go out with a bang. I was happy to see him one more time. And it is his best performance of his career. So, Ben, what are you giving Moraney's Black Bottom? And yes, I said it right then. What are you giving it? Must watch, watch if you can. No, it's not Runaway, I know that. Is it a must must watch? Must watch. Strong week this week. Well, yeah, um, strong week and the Ripper. I mean, I personally liked it. However, I do see your point. Let's not go back down there. Sorry if I touched the nerve with you, by the way, there, Ben. No, no, you didn't. It's actually not even a thing of the Ripper. I really, the whole genre thing winds me up. So every... And it's not just the Ripper. It's on behalf of all those shows that are like that. Yeah, all those shows that basically profit off someone's murder is horrific yeah i i i agree with that i agree with that um should we talk about the three special editions of the Articular film podcast dropping in the next couple of weeks ben what have we got yes so next week we're not recording a normal special no normal episode me and jacob are gonna sit down and record free episode i can't do it all in a one mate it's got to be like three different days that's perfectly fine by me um <laughs> because you get bored after one evidently yeah, so it's going to be our top 20 films of 2020 our top 20 tv shows of 2020 and our top 20 performers so that's actors of 2020 
Very, very exciting. I don't know how it's going to go down. You know, I feel like we'll talk about some for a few minutes and some for about a few seconds. It's going to be interesting. And I genuinely can't wait to do these. So make sure you keep checking our website, our Twitter, uh, here on Spotify, here on wherever you are listening to this podcast for those three specials. Ben, I don't want to big, big our, ourselves up too much. I feel like this is one of the best podcasts we've ever done. I'll agree on that one. So let's leave on a good note. Thank you for listening and bye-bye. Bye.